Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Jordan Rothline, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. Ali Wells is techno to the core and a go-to for devastatingly effective club tracks. But the route he takes there is increasingly less of a straight line. Sometime around his debut album Wicker and Steel in 2011, his music took on a new dimension. It was still very much a techno record, but its atmosphere and composition suggested a context well beyond the nightclub. More industrial textures began creeping into the music he was producing and putting out. The Submit Records offshoot of Perk tracks, for example, kicked off with four Perk reworks of Einstürzen and Neubauten. His latest, The Power and the Glory, takes Perk's evolving sound further into that noisy, dark space. It's a record full of powerful, cathartic moments, and much has been made of the politics underlying the music. It made a great jumping off point when I caught up with Wells at this year's Electron Festival in Geneva. been about two months since the album came out it came out in february yeah i think yeah 17th the middle of february definitely mm -hmm. yeah so how how has it been how have the last few months been um good really just um the album got a great reception um better better than i expected and i was trying to push a little outwards after wicker and steel so it's 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 not a kind of complete change from what i do but it's i was just trying to sort of amplify a few aspects of what I do and that I think people recognize that um, you mean yeah. in the in the production of the record the, the the way you made the music yeah everything from the from the techniques of the sort of much more sort of using the hardware and the sort of computer route together um, both that and just just the sound like some of the tracks are much more abstract and kind of drawn out and and then the dance floor ones are much more focused on you know there's at least two kind of sort of solid straight up club tracks on there but yeah no the reaction's been really good and now it, only really now am i feeling the kind of the gigs that came in off it because obviously uh, it's a big album campaign like that you're going to get a bit more press and things so obviously when you get booked your agent or whoever is normally working about three months ahead so only now is it starting to kick in so i think may april's busy for me and may's probably my busiest month ever so you're starting to feel the album effect and also like I'm I'm such a music nerd that like an album's released and the, you know, the Monday it comes out I'm downloading it or maybe if I was lucky enough I would have got a promo up front so I, I'm really kind of on things the week of release when some people are not, are not so much like that maybe they're a bit, you know, a bit busier with their lives so they they might only have heard it a month after it came out so it's, it's kind of almost like a, whilst I'm not really on top of things some people have a kind of delayed reaction it takes some time to discover it so definitely now the gigs I'm doing now, a few months after the album came out, you're much 
people coming and requesting specific tracks off it and talking about it much more in depth. So you found that the reception of the album has just kind of continued to grow. Um, you've been sort of hearing from more and more people about yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Like I was in um, Vienna last weekend and that's the first time I had someone ask me to sign a copy of it, which... Uh, it was, which was flattering, but I, you know, when you work that hard on the artwork, you don't want my <laughs> terrible handwriting. I said, where do you want it signed? Like just, you know, in the corner on the back. And he's like, no, right across the front. So I had to tell a designer that I, <laughs> I'd ruined his masterpiece. But um, yeah, it's, it's those kind of things. And people asking for specific tracks, as I said, that, that really means a lot. Because obviously, yeah, when you're DJing, there's a whole world of music you could play. And if someone's particularly asking for one of your tracks from the album, it's, yeah, it must mean something to them. So much of the, uh, at least the critical reception to the album has kind of focused on this political context or this perceived political context. How do you feel about that? Well, it's obviously, it's something that carries on from the first album. And there is, there is a political ang angle to this new album, but it's not, it's not something I'm, I, I didn't start, I didn't try to make a protest record. That's not the kind of artist I am. Um, and I understand with journalism, they want an angle to sort of hang a review or hang a story off. And it's the same. It's why something like the um, uh, the Lee Gamble album, you know, the sort of the, sort of the remembered drum and bass. I forgot what it's called now. Diversions, is it? Yeah. So that that album, that that that's such a sort of great story to write about it. And I think that's one of the reasons why that album got so much kind of press. And it's it's a great album to start with. So yeah, the political thing. It, it's it's something people are going to pick up and write about. And it's yeah, it was it was in my mind when I wrote it. And there's certain track titles that really push in that direction but it's not it's not that the only the only reason for the album it's not a protest record or something like that am i correct the album began as sort of being more about religion yeah it did um yeah that's almost where the title comes from as well it's going to be i don't want to say like a takedown or kind of dissing that organized religion because people are welcome to you know believe in whatever they want but personally it was, yeah, it was just, it was going to be more of a kind of investigation into that. And I started doing field recordings in sort of places of worship around London and also on my travels. Um, but yeah, the kind of chor choral sounds, organ sounds, field recordings of churches. I don't know. It was just going to turn into kind of like a sort of slightly church themed ambient record. And by doing that, it still wouldn't have actually had the, it wouldn't have been a discussion about religion that I wanted. It would have just been a record that sounds a bit like a church. So, yeah, it wasn't working at all. So at some point you kind of switched gears um, and I guess the, the context changed a little bit. Sort of where was, the, where was the change? I mean, when did you know that the religious thing wasn't working out? Um, really, when I started to try and put beats to these tracks. So as, as sort of drone tracks, ambient tracks, whatever you want to call them, they were fine. But I, I didn't want an album solely of material like that. And getting those tracks and putting kind of rhythms and beats on them it just wasn't working at all so in the end i just i sort of put all that stuff to one side and some of some of those sounds and ideas did in the end leak onto the album but at one point i put all that to one side and just decided to write whatever i wanted so i had nothing in mind and even if i maybe was in the sort of mood to write a certain type of track if something else you know appeared halfway through the session then i just kind of followed it in that direction I think I read in an interview, you used a word that I thought was really interesting, which was that sometimes your music is kind of retrofitted um, to to fit kind of a new theme or, or a new oh, idea. Yeah, more I meant um, more I meant that people write the music as as just music. It's it's a track. It's maybe a club track or whatever. And then I, I know whether it's not something I, I 
I try to do, but maybe I do occasionally. But some people maybe want to look slightly more intelligent or intellectual, like they've really thought over what they've made rather than just going in a studio and hammering a drum machine for a few hours. So these kind of slightly intellectual concepts are sometimes retrofitted onto a track already. And suddenly, instead of just being a track that would have had like a an abstract title that would have really meant nothing, like or, you know something plucked from science fiction or just general science, something like that. Instead, they pick a quote from a philosopher, and it's oh, it's it's inspired by this person's discussion of the human condition or whatever. And it's it's fine if that's what you're into, but for me, it's just often doesn't ring true. Yeah. It sounded like from what you said before that it it the album kind of wasn't just about this concept. There was a lot more there that that you kind of felt like you grew as a producer and maybe there was some some different stuff going on in the production process. Yeah, it was, it was a kind of different bits of hardware and trying to, I don't know, in, instead, of, instead of making like a session of making sounds and then the next session would be processing and arranging those sounds within the computer, it was trying to combine the two things. So some sounds from the computer, some sounds from the hardware and then the whole track would kind of happen as a, a jam. And I was trying to, instead of recording, say three hours of sounds and editing it, that, that down to six or seven minutes, it was to actually record a kind of seven minute performance. And that would be, that would be the whole track. And I think the track on the album Speak with uh, Nick from Factory Floor, that's the one that most kind of followed that concept where apart from her vocal that was put on afterwards, everything else was kind of happened live and yeah, as, as I wanted to do it. And that, that's really what, something I want to go forward because I'm not the quickest producer in the world and spending three months constantly tweaking a track in the box is starting to get tiresome. So yeah, if if I can do something in a few hours and working with Trust has really um, brought this, this kind of philosophy on and you do something in a few hours, listen to it the next day and yeah, it might not be great. It might be completely scrapped, but the kind of that kind of snapshot of a moment is quite interesting. Since the album wrapped, um, have you been back in the studio? Have you been making more music? Um, in terms of making my own tracks, not really a few little loops and kind of experimental drone things, but nothing that's even at, you know, the form of playing out in a live set or as a demo or something like that. Uh, in terms of remixes, I've done a few, uh, I've just done one for East India youth. Do you know this chap? No. Okay. He's, um, he's a London, uh, singer songwriter kind of lap. Well, as he performs, it's kind of laptop and guitar and he sings, um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's 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 something I want to go into, and it's just it's a full it's full song. It's first chorus. It's yeah. It's and because of that, because of the nature of that, it's probably not going to be a club track. But it's yeah, it's interesting. So I did, I've done that remix, and then really collaborating a lot with Trust for the next Perkin Trust record, which is coming out in the summer. It's interesting that you'd be working with a singer songwriter at this point, or, or maybe with material that kind of has a little bit more of a like sort of pop angle in yeah. a way. I mean, there, there's always been something really catchy about your club tracks, mm -hmm. but more recently, I mean, the the Power and the Glory was quite harsh in a lot of ways. You've been kind of dipping your toes a little bit more into industrial music. Yeah, um, I, it's just really me wanting to keep myself interested. And the, the idea that if I'm interested in it, then hopefully other people will be. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't, especially with remixing, like I'm trying to really move away from taking a, a techno track and making it into a slightly different, possibly slightly better techno track. You know, that's, there's been, obviously there's been great remixes of techno tracks in the past and I've done some that I've been happy with, but no, to, to work with um, uh, a pop track or a sort of indie style track, full verse chorus, that kind of thing, it's interesting. And as long as the label give you a bit of freedom, they're not expecting it to be some sort of 
club techno track, then yeah, it works really well. I did a remix, I think last year for Tim Burgess, who was once, well, no, still is the singer of the Charlatans, the British mm -hmm. indie band. I did um, a remix of one of the tracks from his solo record. And that was really interesting. He, he knew me as a club sort of techno producer, but just said, do whatever you want. And yeah, it's kind of, you know, I, I, I can't compare myself to people, but it's, it's something I just more drawn out. I think when these kind of remixes, something like Coil is quite a big influence where you're keeping the vocal pretty much intact, even the structure of it, even if it's you know, affected and you know, warps a little bit. And then just to build an entire kind of universe around it is really interesting rather than how can I like take one line from, you know, so someone spent hours per, you know, writing this song and crafting the lyrics, then you take one line or you know, some producers will take one syllable and turn that into a club track. You know, that, that, that doesn't really appeal to me and there's other remixes, other remixers who would do that better than me. This industrial influence, um, you know, it seems like it's something that's that's really come out a lot in your work more recently. And I kind of wonder where where it kind of stems from. Is this music that you were always into? Does it come from before your interest in techno? Or were they kind of developing at the same time? Um, in terms of what I was listening to, the first kind of electronic music I really got into was sort of hardcore and, and rave, which must have been about 95, 96. And from someone that had come from a rock background, the kind of power and the energy of the sort of early UK hardcore stuff and the pace of it, the tempo really connected with me. And then the way I got into industrial music is I was an obsessive fan of, this is before I really was buying vinyl and getting into the more underground stuff. I was an obsessive fan of Alternate, the UK rave act. And they remixed two tracks by Cabaret Voltaire, which are uh, of having the entire Alternate catalog, these are probably two of the kind of less interesting things Alternate did. I, I, so I bought this album of 10 Cabaret Voltaire tracks to get the two Alternate bonus track remixes. And then when I bought it, I was disappointed with the remixes, but that, that got, got me into Cabaret Voltaire. And from then, you just follow that path along of sort of Cabaret Voltaire, Throbbing Gristle. At the same time, some of my fan, my friends who are more still with rock music had sort of just crept a little bit over to Nine Inch Nails and that, that was appealing to them. So you had the kind of American stuff like that and even bands like Ministry and things like that. And then on the other side, you, I was kind of going back to the early UK industrial stuff. Like, yeah, Throbbing Gristle, Cabaret Voltaire, Clock DVA. Uh, and in terms of production, it's just taken a while. I think when, when, when you first start producing, you realize obviously that for techno, obviously the club is the kind of main forum and the main place where it's heard. So you're kind of, you're making techno tracks. And it took a while for my kind of confidence and my production skills to get to the point where I could kind of bring in these industrial influences without just, you know, sampling a bar off Cabaret Voltaire and trying to disguise it in there to give it that kind of attitude, which is something I'd never really want to do. I mean, was it was it also just yeah, kind of a matter of um, you talk about gaining confidence, but maybe also like the just the environment changed a little bit too. Um, like techno kind of came yeah, around of to those influences. Yeah, I think when the whole kind of minimal thing started to die off, obviously people were looking for slightly rawer sounds, and the whole the whole rise of sort of Burkhine and Oscar Ton and these kind of things. So yeah, it, it was definitely the time for sort of rougher techno to come in as soon as. As soon as people are making sort of rougher, hard edge techno, then I guess the industrial influ influences are coming through as well. And it's it's interesting. There's like this, this kind of new wave industrial techno that maybe I'm part of. The the sort of the first wave that included me were people that had this kind of knowledge of these industrial bands from the 70s and 80s. And now there's a kind of younger generation of producers who are coming through in the last year or two, who are kind of influenced by what the kind of industrial techno guys are doing, but don't have this kind of 
background in the music itself and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that and of course younger people aren't going to have this sort of years and years of experience of sort of listening and consuming music but it's funny because they kind of get in their influences almost second hand and it's it's interesting some of the tracks therefore take things in a completely different direction and some maybe lack some depth or whatever that they might have had with that knowledge so you you came to industrial music sort of through rave music was it sort of the same thing um with with techno i guess i'm talking kind of about the the sort of the style that you were producing very early in your production career um yeah really like i as i, as I said as, especially early in my career i wasn't that confident i never really thought i'd get signed or not signed but get at least get you know 12 inch out here and there so yeah i always wanted to make quite powerful music and i think the first labels I got signed to were like British and London sort of progressive house labels. And I was always the, almost the kind of pet kind of techno guy. So you had the people making these really clean, epic kind of tracks, the kind of thing that, you know, that really made the names of, you know, Sasha and Digweed, that kind of sound. And then, yeah, every 10 releases, these labels would put out a track by me and it'd be, oh, look, we're, we're releasing real techno. When if you listen back to it, it's not, it's not kind of purest techno. But yeah, that, that, that kind of rough edge thing, really it was more like rough edge to house, maybe with a bit more energy to it. Um, yeah, and that's really where I came from. But um, yeah, definitely now the industrial thing is much more, much more sort of obvious in my music, and I, I do I do like it. But in, in the same way, I really don't want to be kind of you know pigeonholed down there. And I, I think really in the last few years, maybe the whole noise thing has slightly kind of taken over in terms of sounding fresh than the industrial side. You talk about confidence, sort of in your own productions. Was there uh, a particular track or kind of a particular time when? you sort of felt like you were, you, you were really starting to come along as a producer? Um, well, as I said, the first tracks were released by these London labels. They were kind of mutual friends. Well, we had mutual friends to start with. So even though they were signing stuff, it didn't feel almost completely kind of genuine. Of course, they were still, you know, you know taking out a kind of financial risk and investing money in me. So obviously, they, they obviously thought there was some worth to the music. But um, yeah, I think... Um, when I started releasing on Compact, but especially like Drumcode and CLR, which I used to work for the um, distribution company that distributed these records. So to actually you know, be recording for them you know, a few years after I left that company was a massive thing for me. Um, but yeah, the confidence, I think, I think half of my, or one of the reasons for my kind of harder edge sound is this kind of confidence of not sounding weak, which is quite strange because I, I, I now maybe further down in my career I can make kind of more sort of chilled stuff and deep things I'm not worried about it and I, I could happily make a house track and it wouldn't have to be completely distorted and noisy but I think especially starting off I the one thing I didn't want to do is make records that sounded weak in clubs <laughs> and and your stuff now definitely doesn't sound like that <laughs> yeah. I mean the power and the glory like this is a record that just just it sounds incredibly empowered I mean do you do you see techno as sort of like a vehicle for empowerment yeah I do definitely I think it's yeah, it's, it's really energizing. Uh, it's, I think it's empowering. It's, there's times where I've arrived at a club, if either, either I'm playing a gig or I'm just there to meet friends. And, you know, it's not that I'm not in the mood for it, but I'm just a bit tired and you're not sure how it goes. And uh, as long as, you know, as long as the DJ's you know, half decent within like 10 minutes, you just feel kind of energized and especially playing. God, like, yeah, you can be half asleep. And then once you start playing, it's just like you're wide awake and everything's kind of ready to go again. I, I think that's the thing with techno as well. It's such a physical thing. Like I know I know house music and, everything, and obviously different genres of dance music and electronic music, you know, focusing on bass and things like that, which of course is a physical 
thing. Like you have to have a great, you know, um, sound system to get good sub bass and things like that. But especially techno, I think just the, the even now the pace of it and just the sound of it, it's so physical. And in a great club, like something like Fabric, the sound system in there is just it's not just completely around you, it's kind of inside you. And that's kind of something I think about when making tracks. Um, let's talk about the label a little bit. I always thought it it was funny what, what you said you really didn't expect to go beyond the first release. You thought you were just going to have boxes and boxes in your garage of, of records. So it's obviously been, been quite successful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you release a lot of your own music, mm-hmm. um, but also release music on, on other labels. Kind of what goes to Perk Tracks? Um... Years ago, to be honest, it would be the the stuff I believed in that other people didn't want, whether they couldn't get their heads around it or their schedule was too full or whatever. But now, now really, Pertrex properly is my home. I know obviously the name of the label is pretty obvious, but um, yeah, it's where I want to release my stuff. It's the only place I feel completely free. And like a few labels I've worked with in the past, um, I'm doing some stuff for again now. And even though they know me so well and I know I can be quite free with these labels, still in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, what's what's the label owner going to think of it? Does this fit in with what they've got planned for this release? Because I've done a track recently for a compilation um, for CLR. So you're kind of in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking about Chris and CLR and the sound, even though they've said to me, oh, as long as it's kind of a club track, you can go as crazy as you want. So yeah, Perk Tracks is just the one place I feel free like completely and um yeah especially with an album like i've even though an album is quite stressful and there's a lot of work involved creatively it's probably the most free i feel because on a four track ep you're still thinking okay well we should have maybe two tracks that have club appeal and you're trying to balance out across the four tracks and really when you when i start writing for an album especially once i kind of moved away from this kind of religious idea for the last album you're completely free you just write whatever and if you if you write you know, hundred tracks, you can still pick ten of them. So there's, there's you don't have to worry about kind of making mistakes or going down blind alleys. You're just completely free, and that that's why I love the album format so much. And that's why I probably at the moment couldn't envisage doing an album anywhere else but per tracks. Some people I've spoken to kind of feel like that that freedom that you get from running your own label can actually be sort of difficult. Like you you don't have a lot of other people to kind of bounce these ideas yeah. off of. Um, how, how do you manage that? Um, yeah, it can be dangerous and you can kind of head off on some little blind alley and yeah, I, I guess it wouldn't sort of end your career, but it's, it could be a kind of strange moment in it. Um, no, I just have so many friends from just, just friends who are clubbers to people like Trust, Forward Strategy Group. And those guys have been on Pert Tracks like so long now that they're not going to say, oh, we love it just so they don't upset me. So I don't, you know, pull a black mark against their next demo or something. So I really, especially Tom trust, I, I 100% trust what he says. So there's always people I can, you know, sound things off. And f- especially for more sort of dance floor focus tracks, I'm gigging enough that I can play stuff out. And, you know, if, if you drop it and after like a minute or so, it's like people are starting to walk towards the bar or whatever, then, you know, you might have to go back to the drawing board on this one. For the more experimental stuff, I really trust myself and do it and that that's the stuff that has to really connect with me and i hope that if it connects with me then other people will feel the same so you still live in london right yes yeah yeah, yeah. how uh, how is london for techno these days it's it's always been up and down and at the moment i think it's at the peak of a good phase 
So um, ho- hopefully there won't be a, a you know downside over the next year or whatever. It's it's interesting. It's it, the techno scene like moves so quickly, quicker than well. Obviously, I know London better than any other city, but it feels like things change so much. As apart from fabric and really Corsica Studios, they're the only two constants in terms of clubs. And even Corsica, there's so much building work around the area at the moment that it might even, you know, I don't know anything about this, but there's a chance in a few years it could have to close for some, you know, government enforced reason. But um, yeah, and then the rest of the London scene is just in terms of nightlife, it's just these kind of temporary venues that come and go so quickly and these sort of warehouse parties that can be the greatest party of the year or they can be absolutely awful and there's people complaining there's one toilet for a thousand people and all this kind of stuff um so it's it's yeah it's it's a kind of fluid scene it's quite hard to keep control of and I, i'm one of those people that's i like to go out and go to nights if i have a weekend off or even if i'm playing on a saturday i might go out on a friday and see what's going on and yeah there's just so much happening and it's strange like yeah it's just it just moves really quickly. The one thing I'd say about the London scene, I w- there does seem to be almost a, a snobbery against people from London. So like even like a really su- a really successful producer, if he's playing, and he might only play in London a few times a year, it's not someone that's playing week in, week out. They, they, they still won't have the attraction. I suppose it's kind of the exoticism thing. They won't have the attraction of someone imported from Berlin or- Yeah, so something. it's like you could, you could be a London producer, yeah. move to Berlin and play more often in London yeah. than you would when you were living in London. Yeah, and, and, and people will be much more excited about that. Um, a, a London producer living in London, people struggle to get excited by. So a London producer that's gone to Berlin gets a bit more attention, but an actual like German producer- who lives in Berlin, then that, that's that's something truly exciting. Even if they're just, I don't want to say kind of bog standard, but they're just, a, you know, if they're just a good DJ, nothing like amazing, they'll still get a lot of people. And I have to say, it's often they're kind of younger clubbers. It just, it's, it's like, oh, it's someone from Berlin. It's amazing. And I'm, I've spoken to other cities uh, about this. And there's people in Italy who like just, they're trying to build a scene there and they can bring in, you know, guests and like people love that, but they just can't get any attention for their kind of homegrown people. It's only really when you start releasing on international labels and people will then respect you in your hometown. And of course, then you start traveling and then when you travel, you're the exotic guest. So the whole thing comes back to you. Yeah, you mentioned that things in things in London are pretty fluid. You know, it's, it's kind of on a curve. It's like sometimes it's yeah. up, sometimes it's down. Um, and right now it seems to be up. Do you have a sense of kind of what took it there? Yeah. yeah, well, I think I think it is the kind of we're now way past the whole minimal scene, which was a really big thing in London. I'm, and I'm, you know, that 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 still actually does go on. There's still parties playing that kind of minus sort of classic minus kind of sound, but it's kind of faded out a little bit. I think the slowing of techno, yeah, the, the BPMs and the tempo of techno is is one of the things that's helped the London scene. Um, when you had this like really fast sort of tribal loop techno that was popular for a while, but people tired of it very soon. And, and then, and then after that, you had the kind of minimal thing. And I think a lot of people didn't connect with either sound. So now you've got this kind of slightly classically influenced techno sound, but a, a, a slightly more palatable BPM. I think that's really helped the London scene. And yeah, of course the kind of the hype around Oscar and Burkine and things like that. And you've got people like, it seems like every week, every weekend, there's one of those sort of Burkine or Panorama Bar residents in London. And it's that, that stuff's great for the scene. And yeah, I think, I don't know, it's, it's hard. And there has been, a, there's been a rise in the kind of London producers. I think if you look at like, even, even though they're in Berlin, people like Siren shifted you know, coming, coming through us, they're still obviously regarded as UK producers, um, trust coming through. 
uh, not connected to London, of course, but like clouds, just the whole UK scene. They're, they're so young. That's a really great thing. Um, so, yeah, I think in terms of UK producers and London producers, I think it's, it's, it's a more exciting, more exciting time than it's been for, for a while. With sort of the, the last album project, you had kind of gotten inspired, uh, you know, to go out and start taking field recordings of, of churches. There was definitely like a theme. Yeah. Um, are there any themes that are kind of floating around in your mind right now? Not as such, not that I would like really base a project around them. I think that's maybe, yeah, maybe it's slightly dangerous to sort of have too much of a preconceived idea before you start a project. Um, no, that the, the political situation in the UK still bugs me. Um, but I don't want to become this kind of political techno guy and start putting David Cameron's face on the front of records and things like that. Cause it's just too kind of over and obvious. And when, um, I don't know. Yeah, when 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 sort of like the the UK kind of squat techno acid techno scene gets quite political, it's it's done so obviously. Even though I love the music, it's a little bit. It's not my kind of thing. It's a little for me it makes me cringe a little bit. So it's a kind of subtle. I'd like to keep pursuing down a kind of subtle sort of political line. So yeah, you're still trying to make some sort of statement, and you can elaborate it about it in interviews and things like that. But it's not this whole just like anarchy, bring down the government kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think that that um, all of those themes and everything that, that have come up over the last two albums have maybe to a certain extent obscured the fact that you also make like really banging, like yeah, really yeah. nice club tracks. Um, have you been making anything like that recently? Um, I'm trying to think. N- no. Um, well, the Perk and Trust record that's coming in June, uh, that's a four track EP, at least two of those. Yeah. Uh, uh, straight up club tracks and then another two, kind of expand our sound a bit outwards from what people have heard already. There's less of the kind of just hard acid and there's a few kind of break beats and things going in there. But no, for me personally, it's, as I said, it's loops and ideas, but there's not, there's nothing I've since the album that I finished that's, you know, the, the, the kind of, I can't wait to play this out kind of track. Yeah. I, w- I wish it had already appeared, but um, I, I've no, I'm in no rush to release uh, another, you know, full EP after the album. So w- when it happens, it happens. Yeah. You launched, I guess, within the last year or so, you launched, I guess, two sub-labels. Yes, yeah. Um, although Submit, you might not really want to think about that as a sub-label. That, that might seem like kind of a separate project. But what what's kind of happening with those right now? Um, okay, well, the easiest one to talk, to, talk about is Perk Tracks Limited, um, which was really just intended for sort of special projects and definitely club-focused releases. The next Perk and Trust record is on that. And then after that, an old record by Thomas Heckman has been, I've licensed that in. So that's getting a new remix package. So they're very club focused records. Um, so that label's ticking along okay. Submit is um, a slightly different kind of animal. And it's it'd be, after the, the record with me and Neubau and then the Feral Grind compilation, it'd be easy to kind of continue in that kind of slightly industrial, slightly noise kind of bass scene, which is, it's interesting to me, but I don't. I don't want the label. If I, like, if it did four or five releases like that, I think that'd be it. Kind of stamped as that kind of thing, and I want it to cover different things. So I, I mentioned once about maybe some sort of hip hop. Um, I don't know, or a singer songwriter kind of thing. And I think even if it was a, like a, a vocal track of you know, either of those kind of genres, it would still probably have that kind of rough edged per track submit aesthetic to it. But um, I, I think it'd be the sort of next step forward from you know contacts in like old industrial 
people or this, this kind of whole wave of DIY producers. I don't know with Submit. It's an interesting one. There's a few ideas coming, but I really don't think it's going to put anything out until after the summer now. And it was it was never meant to be something that did, you know, six or eight or 10 releases a year. It's not like that. I, I, I don't want to do a release every every year. I want, I, want it, you know, I want it to keep it ticking over a bit quicker than that, but there's no pressure to keep the schedule moving. Yeah, I think you said that you really liked the idea that at a certain point, people would forget that, you know, perk or perk tracks was at all related to submit. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, do you think that that's realistic? Uh, no, I don't think so really because, um, well, of course there's a chance I might record for it at some point in the future, either as perk or who knows something else. But no, I think it's, it's part of the perk track stable. And I think without being kind of negative for however long submit goes on for, I don't think it'll probably get to where Pertrex is now. I think it's always going to be the, you know, the kind of interesting sub-label. And then, yeah, any any press, any reviews, I think most will mention it's, even if they don't mention me, they'll say it's part of the Pertrex kind of stable. So it's always going to be connected. And in some ways that's a good thing because hopefully people that like one label will discover the other. But um, yeah, I don't think it's ever going to be just this completely separate thing.